Hello, and welcome to The Rooster Crows. I am your host, Roberta. Stephen Milton and I look forward to working together and bringing you stories and people from everywhere and anywhere as we learn a bit more about what makes humans tick. For this first episode with you all, I need you to come with me to my 12th grade writer's craft classroom. My English teacher, Mr. Thomas, is returning a number of short stories we had submitted to a group of English teachers for comments. Mine, a thrilling mystery done in the style of Sir Conan Doyle or G.K. Chesterton, was witty and poignant and I was sure would impress the others. I was told my writing was good, but I remember clearly that they informed me my plotting needed serious work. My characters' names were redundant, and they weren't sure the ending made a whole lot of sense. Essentially, it wasn't great, but it had potential. At least, that is what 17-year-old me took from it. It was harsh, but it was fair. And 15 years later, I am now writing sermons as part of my job, so it must have worked out in the end. At the TCTE, the Toronto Council for Teachers of English, they run a contest every year for high school students to share short stories. The judges are a number of current teachers, some alumni of the contest, and a handful of us, quote, lay people, who are asked years later to offer their input. Today, we are with Marlene Bourdon-King, one of the longest-running judges and head organizer of the TCTE contest. She joins us from BC, where she is with her family and now runs a bookshop. So, good morning. I am here with Marlene, who is one of the most important people for the TCTE short story writing competition here in Toronto. And she is coming with us from BC. And Marlene, it is so wonderful to have you with us today. Thank you. I'm delighted to be here. Before we begin, just a quick question. Can you tell us anything about how the TCTE short story writing competition, how that started? Oh, yes, I can. Um, I was much younger then. <laughs> Contest is now in its 37th year, although this is only the 36th, because in the first year, we didn't publish anything. But it was a brainchild. Uh, the TCTE is the Toronto Council of Teachers of English, uh, which was a very vibrant organization in the early 80s. Uh, probably right through to the 90s, but um, then the board changed and, and the thing that did survive uh, was this fiction contest because it was so important to the people who were involved with it, including me. So uh, a man named Ian Waldron, he was head of English at North Toronto Collegiate, and uh, he, it was really his brainchild that, that got the thing going. And at first, of course, it was only the original Toronto board, sort of six schools involved. Um, but then when the, when the board became ginormous, um, uh, we had access to way, way more schools. And our focus has been to get more schools involved uh, every year. 
So this year uh, was astounding. We had, um, I think maybe more stories than we've almost ever had. Um, and so then that was part, that's partly because of the pandemic, I think, because kids have time on their hands. The judging went from beyond just the teachers of the students who wrote the stories to include members of the community. And people like you, Roberta, who are alumni of teachers who entered you in the contest. So it's been great. I, I distinctly remember being in 11th grade English and hearing about the story contest and saying, I'll deal with it later, deal with it later. Finally, 12th grade, and it is my English teacher, Mr. Thomas, who says, submit the story. We're submitting all of these stories this year. And I distinctly remember getting like good comments on my writing the individual like sentences and then just being torn to shreds on like the character was the someone that was a famous actor's name. It was probably correct, if I'm honest. The plot needed some work and it, it, it hurt, but also made me a better writer. And it is just the weirdest thing saying I'm going to submit a story. So speaking of submitting a story, can you tell us about like what the process is for each year where you start with telling the kids it's that time of year again to submit the stories all the way through to the end where we publish the book of uh, winning stories for that year? Sure. So uh, any student of Toronto District School Board between grade nine and 12 can submit a story. Um, and the, there's a length uh, restriction. It has to be at least a thousand words and no more than 2,500 words. And so the judges have no idea who wrote the story, how old the story, how old the, the author is, uh, what school they go to. They know nothing except the title of the story and the number it has been assigned. Then I have to put them, organize them into what we call batches of sometimes 10 or 11 stories. If we don't have enough judges this year, we do have lots of judges. So um, we have story, our, our batches are eight or nine stories this year. And they read the story, the judges read the stories and we give them um, lots of pointers about the sorts of things that they can talk about. We ask them to make at least three comments that are positive statements, what they really liked or admired about the story and at least three comments about how next step, how they could improve this story or another story in the future. They don't, uh, judges can put their name on it, but often they just put an initial. So again, there's sort of anonymity and you can't say, oh, well, this person hates me, um, <laughs> which kids often will say about teachers and their comments. Uh, and they, but they also know that it isn't necessarily a teacher that is, judging the story um, so that the story, they know that the story is being judged on its own merits in the context of other stories written by students about the same age that they are. But we have stories from grade nine, 10, 11, and 12 this year. So it's, the, it's a really great uh, overview of what kids are thinking about. Um, so the judges have about a month to read those stories and make those comments. And then they have to rank the stories. So if I have a batch of, let's say, eight stories, and the first three are amazing, but the last five are 
no, not good enough, not yet. I'd put my line after the third number. Those stories would go on to the second round of judging and the rest of the stories have their three comments and they're done. But if only one judge puts a story forward and there are three judges on each batch in the first round, if one judge says, nope, this story is worth looking at again, then it goes on. Because what I have learned over the years, and this is a mantra that everybody laughs at me, all the judges laugh at me when I say this, there is no such thing as a universal audience. So what I find is the same story will be at the top of one judge's list and at the very bottom of another judge's list, the same story. And it's like, what? what's going on? How can this happen? But it happens every single year. So. No such thing as a universal audience gets proved over and over and over again. Um, because we all have different experiences. We relate to things in different ways. Buttons get pushed or not, depending on uh, what the story is about and how it's written. So um, in the second round, they the stories get rebatched because a bunch of them are, are not in the competition anymore. When this that those are tallied, and again, it's it's usually about three weeks to a month. Um, when those are tallied, we then have what we call the long list, which is about 20, no more than 25 stories, because this time the judges have to read all of these stories. So round three is the final round of judging, and these are the best of this year's batch, and they put them into, um, Again, they do the, the reading and ranking. And uh, then we get together on a day, usually in April, um, and, and we have it out. So uh, let's say there's 20 stories in that final batch and people talk about what they liked, what they didn't like for each story. Then we have a vote. So that's it. Then uh, we have, uh, well, we like to have, we haven't been able to have it in person for the last couple of years, but we have something called an author's day. So all of the students who made it to second round, so that's probably about two thirds of the students get invited to a day where we invite Canadian authors to come and they're put into small discussion groups and the stories uh, have been made available to the, to the authors. Sometimes those Canadian authors have a chance to read them. Uh, the kids read a little excerpt of their story. So everybody in that discussion group can hear uh, what their story was about. They talk about it a little bit. Um, kids love it. It's their favorite part of contest. Then they get their story comments back. Um, and at the end of that afternoon, we announce who the winners are. So it's all very dramatic and fun. Something that strikes me as we talk about this is just yeah you're right how subjective the judging can be where if we compare it to you know a science competition or a math exam or the olympics are going on right now where there are clear measurements and points and skills and the idea to be as objective as humanly possible and yet when it comes to story writing aside from the very clear this person has had atrocious grammar or horrible <laughs> stereotypes stuff that we sort of as judges say yeah no and so i'm wondering if we have an idea as to what 
what makes a good story? If- well, a number of things make a good story. Um, certainly, if it's well written and you don't find yourself, I'm an English teacher, right? You don't find yourself stopping and wanting to put a comma in or circle a comma splice or put a capital on or fix this dialogue formatting for heaven's sake. Um, that you were told to do this before you submitted it. Um, that kind of thing certainly affects, affects the reader. Because if you have to keep stopping to figure out who's talking or what does this say? Oh, oh, it's just a, it's a punctuation thing. That inter- interferes with the enjoyment of the story. Good characterization, world building. A lot of students write fantasy, um, science fiction, and, and some of them clearly have been reading a lot because that's the other thing we tell them is good readers make good writers and don't be afraid of being influenced. Everybody else in the art world is influenced. Musicians talk about who their favorite influences are. So writers are allowed to as well. Um, And so if, and sometimes it's just, it's the atmosphere that the student creates. They manage to, they manage to just hook you. They pull you in to a situation and they take you through it. And sometimes we're surprised. Sometimes we know what's coming um but they've done it well anyway considering that they are young writers but sometimes we just get whoa where did that come from this is amazing tally remember that the implant and chip were invented by cheeto hari in 2031 they were slowly implemented into society until it became illegal not to have the surgery to wire them to your brain. Of course, there are some people that couldn't get an implant or chip. They were too old, sick, or poor when Cheeto Haring created them to be prioritized for the surgeries. Then there were the few that refused to follow the system. They now govern themselves and run their own lives completely off the aether. Cheeto Haring doesn't include them in the 11 billion. As you know, anyone can easily remove the chip. It gets replaced when you're upgraded or malfunction. The implant, in contrast, is a separate entity fused with your brain from birth. It stays there forever. And that's The Numbered by Anton Gillis Adelman. In a really good story, you've got a balance of things. You've got a balance between description and dialogue because a lot of students will write a good story, but we're not really in it. It's being told to us from a, from a narration and we never get to engage with the characters by getting into the moment. Dialogue allows them to do that. Um, there's gotta be some tension in the story. We want to know what happens. I always used to tell my students that there's always some kind of change from the beginning of the story to the end. And it might be tiny. It might be just an attitude in the character's mind that's different at the end than it was at the beginning. Or it might be cataclysmic, like you know how a war ends. But, but there's always gotta be something that I want to know the answer to. And I may or may not get the answer, but at least I've been engaged in that, in that tension. Like there's one story that was written. Uh, it's 
I guess it's a fantasy story. It's called The City. And that throws you completely off, completely off, because it's a story of all of these fairy-like creatures. And their city is a forest. And the giants are human beings coming into the forest and taking their buildings, right? So once you, whoa, once you figure out, this is about, this is about cutting down trees. It takes the story to a whole other appreciative level, right? Besides the, the world building that this, this author did with wonderful names for things like lyreflies on one wing, there is a lie, but it's a beautiful lie. And on the other wing is the truth, which is probably going to be nasty and hurtful. So you're told, look at the left wing, look at the left wing in the story, right? Or don't look at the left wing, it's lying to you. <laughs> you have to look at the, the truth. So what an incredible idea, right? And I don't know where she got that idea, but she did, and it was brilliant. So she made it into the book. But there you go. That title, The City, what? So they're very clever at getting at real issues, but not necessarily directly. These are kids that are not just writing in a vacuum. They've written through the 90s, through 9-11, through some horrific trauma, through the various recessions, because there's a lot of recessions, through the highs and lows of their life and are writing short stories that are impacted by it, even if it's fantasy. And now they're writing in the middle of a global pandemic for the third year in a row, which, holy crow, that's a lot of short stories. And we, and, do, find, we do find themes that emerge, right? So yeah. in the stories in the batch that I'm reading right now, a lot of mental health stories, characters mm -hmm. on the brink of, of suicide and whether or not they do it depends on the story. Um, but it's like okay we're dealing with mental health issues and it's coming out in the stories and that makes perfect sense and that's great because of course that's a form of that's a therapeutic action right to, to look at that issue and and write about it in a way that's engaging and either hopeful or tragic so You're killing them, sure, but then you're making them into something that will live on much longer than they would have in the first place. Sounds like a pretty good life to me. It's a sign of respect, he said, eternal life on that dark green wall. His father was wise like that. The deer hunter watches them in the dim light of evening. He thinks about his first deer the pride on his father's face as he clapped him on the back. He kept a piece of an antler that sits in a box on his bedside table. That memory has faded until all that is left is the warmth of his hands on his back, the coppery tang of blood resting thick on his tongue. A warm, bright happiness blooms in his chest. And that's The Deer Hunter by Kira Robertson. Absolutely. 
but I remember joking yeah. with a couple of the other judges that I've known uh, throughout the years that when the pandemic hit, it hit just as the last batch of stories were submitted for that year. So they weren't impacted by COVID yet, but we were ready for, you know, the 2021 stories, they were going to be filled with plague and they were going to be filled with zombie invasion. And it also felt like there was a little bit of that, but a large part of it was just seeing kids write out their strain, write out the toll of being isolated from people for a whole year. And it was beautiful and haunting. And there was a lot of really good writing to come out of that. And it just says something about teenagers that they need to write stories. And I'm wondering if you're able to share with us why you think as clearly you're an English teacher, you are someone that has worked with students many years, you believe that writing stories is important. And I want to know if you want to share the why you think it's important for lack of a better word. Okay. I think it's important because when I started my British craft courses every year, I, I said, you are going to find your voice this year. Now, of course, in writer's craft, they're doing creative writing all over the place. So yes, they always found their voice at some juncture in the year. It might not have been short stories. It might have been poetry. It might have been drama. It might have been children's literature. Um, but for my other students, I also had them write stories. And I would do it as a way of avoiding questions and answers, which I think is the most deadly thing that can happen to a student in an English class. And so I would say, all right, well, write, write the scene before this story starts or write a scene that isn't in the story, a, a conversation that could have happened in the background or write the sequel. So that kids who are really afraid of their own creativity and I don't have any good ideas, I can't write, take a really, good story and have them write around it right write a new ending um write the beginning like the, the prequel as i said so so i think it's really important for them to to flex their imaginations because i'm sorry the school system um grinds it out of them they they come into the school system just these incredible creatures who live in a world of imagination and then by the time they hit high school uh for many of them it's like creativity is what I, what aren't there some questions i can answer <laughs> or, or avoid answering because i don't want to do this homework um and and so yeah it's important to write stories because you get to enter an imaginary world and make it real let that little bit of humanity where we've been telling stories since we've been able to communicate with each other and being able to just Absolutely. let that grow. Jesus used stories, right? Like <laughs> that's the way he he did his ministry primarily through telling stories, his parables. Yeah, they're parables, but they're stories. Um, and, and he knew that that was the way he was going to engage people and allow them to make connections between that story and the way they live their lives. And that's what the students are doing too. They are, they are connecting with issues that are important to them. Like last year's top story was set in the past, like in the distant past, really, like certainly far beyond her, her 
even her parents, but she was, she was digging through her cultural history, her family history, and, and, um, and it was a very powerful story. Clearly it won the contest. Um, so yeah, we get historical fiction that, and I have remember last year, there was a story that was about being married. So this girl clearly is not married and she's dealing and she's writing a story about a woman who has, has been married for some time and is stifled in that marriage. And I, and I checked the details. Like I went and did the research about details she put into that story in terms of like what someone got paid per hour, for example, she had done her research, right? And so this was historical fiction, a feminist theme, um, but not in a contemporary setting at all. So that's pretty cool. War stories too, you know? The, the number of stories that we get that are about war or about something that you know that many high school students living in downtown Toronto or suburbia Toronto have not experienced this. Not all of them. There are definitely ones that have experienced war and violence and tragedy, but they're able to say, I want to write about this thing that I have no concrete connection to. And I'm going to dig through so many articles to get like the little details that just make it absolutely beautiful. And they have to do it all in a very short period of time, especially with historical fiction or fantasy or something with world building. You don't have time to create, you know, here are the ancient tomes of 500 years of this world's history. You got like a paragraph and a half, create the entire world, go. And they do it. And that to me just blows my mind, honestly. He eagerly awaited the arrival of the rivermen year after year. They brought with them beef and pipeweed and salt, and the recluse gave them furs of the animals he trapped in the woods for the rivermen to do with what they liked. However, pipeweed and salt were not the main reason for the recluse to await their arrival so eagerly. The thing that left the recluse so eager after seeing smoke on the horizon was the world that would come with the rivermen. The rivermen brought with them more than just foodstuffs and coats. They had news from all down the northern colonies and the oceans beyond, a connection to a world that the recluse had not forgotten. The Whiskey Jack's Long Song by Parker Marumetz. Like we had one girl who was published grade nine, grade 10, grade 11, grade 12. Um, she's studying science at university right now. Um, every story she wrote was completely different. One was, one was an allegory, one was a, a fantasy, one, and they were all completely different. Um, she's a writer, but she's also pursuing a, you know, she's got one of those brains that can do both both sides, right? Um, and so 
you tell kids that you can write just for you. Like, just because nobody else loves your stories doesn't mean you can't, doesn't mean they're not important stories, doesn't mean publishing isn't the be all and end all. Um, it, this is a form, this is an outlet for you. This is, this is a gift that you've been given and you can share it with your family, with your friends, or just with you. It's still valuable. Very, very important. There's an audience for it's every story. There's an audience of one. It's still important. Absolutely. They work there, you know, that's how they're working through their their things. So, mm. Yeah. Thank you so much, Marlene. It has been an absolute pleasure. Thank you, Roberta, for inviting me because this is this is a labor of love for me. And I love talking about it. So thanks for the opportunity. Thank you so much to Marlene for joining us today. If you want any more information or want to hear any more of the stories, feel free to check out the TCTE Short Fiction Contest website. That is tcteshortfiction.com. Thank you for being with us today and for the opportunity to share the voices of some brilliant teens we hope that you're inspired to share your voice and to listen to the voices of others. Until we meet again, take care, and we'll see you next time.